Hey, one of the things I like uh, or enjoy or appreciate about moving from outdoors to indoors, I love worshiping outdoors, but one of the things I like about worshiping indoors uh, is that I get to create some slides, give you guys some visuals, and of course we can't do slides outside, and so I oftentimes spend a couple hours on Saturdays um, putting some slides together. So I hope this is helpful for you in terms of communicating uh, some ideas, uh, some teachings uh, from Scripture. Uh, it's helpful for me. It's helpful for me to get gather my thoughts, and it just kind of gives me an image uh, to think about uh, some different things. Well, as uh, uh, Jeff said at the top of our service this morning, uh, we are in the middle of a sermon series uh, called uh, Leaving a Legacy. And if you've got your Bibles, I want to invite you to go to 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3. Uh, we are going uh, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Now, 2 Timothy is not a very long book. In fact, it's only about a, a two-page letter. It's actually a, a very short letter uh, that was uh, penned uh, by the Apostle Paul to his protege, uh, Timothy. Uh, at this point in time, Paul's in jail. Uh, he's, it's going to be the very last letter that he is going to write, uh, because very soon thereafter, uh, he is going to be executed um, uh, for uh, proclaiming Jesus Christ as Lord, not Caesar. He says, nope, it's Jesus. Jesus is the Lord, uh, not Caesar. He is uh, the King of Kings, and uh, uh, Caesar set off with his head. And so that's what happens shortly after this. And, and so um, here we are, 2,000 years later, uh, reading someone else's mail. Um, someone, uh, the Apostle Paul, who's writing this letter to Timothy, saying, be faithful, be strong, keep going, Pass on the faith in Jesus Christ. And I just love this idea that here we are 2,000 years later, um, and we are the recipients of the legacy of the, of the Apostle Paul and uh, young Timothy. Um, and uh, so we've been going through this sermon series, and uh, it's been a great ride so far, and I hope you've been able to, to stay caught up uh, online or, or live. And so this morning... What we're going to talk a little bit about as we get to this point in 2 Timothy chapter 3 is the current of culture, the current of culture. Now, you probably know that there is a current in culture, that culture does not stay static, uh, that culture is moving in a particular direction, and culture typically moves in the direction of godlessness, not godliness in godlessness. And so we're going to talk about what it means to be faithful followers of Jesus Christ this morning in this current of culture. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for an opportunity to gather this morning to worship you, uh, to, as Jeff said this morning, uh, to, just to praise your name in the midst of all that is going on in our lives, the good things, the bad things, the hard things, and just the blessings, God, it all comes from you. And so, Lord, as we continue on this journey of um, 2 Timothy, uh, we pray, God, that your Holy Spirit might continue to dwell among us. May the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable, for you are indeed our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, I've shared with you before that when our kids were younger, we would uh, take our kids to the beach in southern Georgia. Uh, one of our favorite places to go is a place called St. Simon's Island, and uh, it's, maybe you've heard of it, it's near Jekyll Island or some of these other kind of strings of islands, not terribly far from Savannah, Georgia, but it's one of these uh, quieter islands in southern Georgia. And uh, my wife and I, we would kind of plop our stuff down on the beach, um, and, and the kids would go race 
racing off into the water, mask, snorkel, fins, all that good stuff. And uh, before they would go out, especially when they were younger, we'd be like, give them a little bit of instructions. Because uh, we had to explain to them that there's a current uh, that will push you uh, down, down, down the ocean, uh, down the ocean path, I guess, if you will. And you don't see it when you're just looking out there. You just see the, the waves coming in and going out. And so we'd have to explain to the kids, hey, here's the deal. Look down the beach uh, when you see those three umbrellas. When you get to about the third umbrella down there, um, you need to come out of the water, uh, walk back into the beach, and then walk, come back and find us again. Uh, and then you can go back out into the water again because it's really easy to get carried away by the current, by the flow of the water that'll just kind of push you down because everybody's getting carried uh, by the current. Um, and maybe you've ever been uh, out playing chicken in the ocean or splashing around and, and you come out of the ocean and, and all of a sudden you look up and you're like, who took my stuff, right? My stuff is gone, Right. Where's the pier? Who took the pier? The pier's gone. Somebody stole the pier, right? And it's, it's all because we've been just kind of moved down the water and we don't even notice it. And this is what culture is like in our lives. Things change so subtly that we don't even notice these changes in our lives. Uh, that, that things around us have changed. And all of a sudden we're like, whoa, things are really, really different and this is what Paul is talking about in our reading today, uh, in this whole idea of the current of culture, that things are changing over and over and over. And you got to pay attention to the culture and the current of culture. So Paul begins this way in 2 Timothy 3, verse 10. You, however, know about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love and endurance. And so Paul's kind of setting up this juxtaposition or this contrast with what John spoke about last week. Uh, if you were here last weekend, uh, John talked about this whole idea of there will be terrible times in the last days. And if you ever want somebody to preach a sermon on gloom and doom, John is your guy. He loves to stand up there and slap us all around a little bit, right? John likes, he's a, he's a man of truth, and uh, after he slaps us all around a little bit, he gives us a big hug, and he loves us uh, as well. So last week, we got slapped around, which was awesome. Thank you, John, uh, for lovingly, pleasure. your pleasure, I know, for lovingly slapping us around, and that was what it was all about last week. Hey, we're living in the end times, and there's all sorts of godlessness going on, and then says, Paul's uh, contrasts that, and he says, but you know about my teaching, my way, my purpose, and he, Paul's purpose comes from Jesus. He says it's about faith, it's about patience, it's about love, it's about endurance. Paul's talking about just this whole idea that the culture is moving this way of godliness, and Paul says, no, as Jesus followers, we are called to go against the flow. But when you go against the flow, when you go against culture, there will be consequences. And so Paul's going to talk a little bit about these consequences. Uh, he says, you, however, know about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings, what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I endured. Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. And so what Paul is saying here is when you go against the cultural flow of all that's going on in the world, there will be persecution. There will be suffering. 
And so what Paul is describing here, most of us don't know about Paul in uh, Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. But what happened in those places is that Paul was preaching. He's preaching about Jesus. And it was very countercultural. And people started to get kind of riled up because Paul was proclaiming Jesus as Lord. Paul was proclaiming Jesus as the King of Kings. And the people were mad. So they started picking up rocks off the ground and throwing them at Paul. Paul was stoned. They kept throwing rocks at him over and over and over to the point where they looked at him and his body is there just kind of lying limp. And so they grabbed him by the legs. They drag him out of town and they just kind of lay him on the ground or just set him on the ground there outside of town. Like, got rid of that guy. Then all of a sudden Paul's like, (gasps) and Paul came back to life. Now, I don't know if he was actually dead, but he was certainly unconscious. I mean, that's how much he was uh, uh, stoned uh, with these rocks that were thrown at him. I mean, he was, he was knocked out. He was unconscious. And so Paul gets up after being, having all these rocks thrown at him. He walks back into town and says, I'm not finished with my sermon yet. And he keeps preaching. It's extraordinary, this, this situation of Paul. Now, I've preached uh, quite a number of pretty bad sermons in my day, and I've irritated some people through through my time, and and some of you have graciously sent me mostly nice emails to let me know that you didn't necessarily appreciate my sermons, and that's okay. But I got to tell you, nobody has ever thrown rocks at me while I've been preaching or afterwards, so thank you for that. I appreciate that. That's never happened to me. That's what happened to Paul, and he was persecuted, and he experienced suffering because of that. And what Paul is saying in his letter to his young protege, to Timothy, is when you are following Jesus, there will be persecution. Pain is part of the plan when you follow uh, Jesus. He continues, in fact... Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now you think to yourself, well, what what does all this mean? Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. What is Paul talking about there? I think, first of all, we have to kind of define what does a godly life in Christ Jesus mean? What does a godly life in Christ Jesus mean? Now, if we're talking about a godly life in Christ Jesus, as according to what much of American Christianity is today, here's the slide I found for that. This is American Christianity today. There it is. You know, American Christianity today is, I'm just going to consume a little bit of Jesus online. I'm going to get my Bible reading online. I'm going to get my sermons online. Uh, I'm going to, you know, find some Bible verses online. I'm going to sit on my couch. Everything is comfortable. Uh, but you know what? I thought this slide is not entirely complete. So you got to have a cup of coffee, right? There you go. So this is uh, American Christianity today. You know, it's just this whole idea of uh, Jeremiah 29, uh, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. And, and all the wind is in, in, in your back and, and pushing you forward. And it's just like, oh God, you're so good. If that's your version of, of what it means to live a godly life that we, you know, we go through, we come to church every now and then, Right show up, sing a few songs, uh, drop some money in the offering plate. Uh, but most, mostly, we just kind of do what we want. We're still Lord of our lives. 
We still do our desires, those things that are important to us, those things that we feel, those things that we want to do. If that's your version of what it means to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, I have good news for you. You will not be persecuted. Nobody's going to bug you. Nobody's going to bother you. You're going to just sit on your couch, and life is going to be good. And you've kind of got Jesus, and Jesus and you have that conversation, and it's going to be good. But I don't think that's what Paul's talking about. That's the bad news. See, unfortunately, we live in the 21st century America where uh, American Christianity has really become something that is not very biblical in many, many ways. What Paul is talking about here, it's really about going against the flow of culture. It's basing and anchoring our lives on this, not on the cultural whims of the day, it's, it's rooting our lives in Scripture, not how we feel. It's, it's being so immersed in, in, in living in Scripture and studying Scripture and basing our lives on Scripture, not on how we think the world ought to be and just kind of go according to what I think and what I feel, my desires. Paul said it really is all about Scripture and how we live our lives. In fact, he writes in uh, 2 Timothy 3.12, everyone who wants to live a godly life will be persecuted. And I think we have to ask ourselves, are you being persecuted? Paul says everyone who wants to live a godly life will be persecuted. Now, again, we live in 21st century uh, America. And most of us are not going to be persecuted like the Apostle Paul, or frankly, like many people are persecuted today. So what does it mean for us, you and me, people here in uh, Bloomington Normal, to be persecuted as Christ followers? I think in many ways, uh, for us today in our culture and day and time, to be persecuted, uh, to use uh, the, 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 the language of the vernacular of today, is to be canceled, We all know this language of cancel culture, right? The whole idea of cancel culture is if you don't like what's going on, if you don't like the person who's speaking, if you don't like the words that are being said, you just shout at them. You shout at them and you shut them down. You tell them, hey, you're a hater. The things that you are saying, we live in a a culture in a world of cancel culture. It's this whole idea of how do I feel versus God's word. Let me give you a couple examples of this. A couple of years ago, uh, a guy by the name of uh, Chris Pratt uh, was in a very theologically deep movie called Legos 2. <laughs> and Chris Pratt is an actor, right? For those of you who know, he's a funny actor. And so as Chris Pratt is going around to the talk shows, just kind of promoting Legos 2, pretty soon all these messages, people started coming out of the woodwork because Chris Pratt is also a Christian. He's a Jesus follower. He's committed to a Bible-believing church. And pretty soon people are like, don't go to the movie because Chris Pratt is in it. And Chris Pratt 
was canceled. Another example from public life. This is Karen Pence, former vice president of the United States, Mike Pence's wife. And some of you know that Karen Pence is a school teacher in a Christian school, in a school that teaches God's word. And so the Washington Post ran an article on Karen Pence a few years ago. And because she teaches at a Christian school, a school that bases their teachings on the word of God, she was called a bigot. And a bigot is someone who is extremely intolerant because she dared to teach in a school that teaches God's word. Not, not, not a quote from Karen Pence or anything, but simply because she teaches at a Christian school. Then there's another uh, sports world. I want to give you an example from this. Uh, a, a professional soccer player, a woman by the name of uh, Jaylene Hinkle. She played on the USA uh, national team, and she was a really good soccer player. She is a good soccer player. And for many years, uh, she played soccer professionally. And then a couple years ago, there was a court case redefining marriage, a court case redefining relationships. So the next day, she posted on her Instagram account, I believe with every fiber of my body that what was written 2,000 years ago in the Bible is undoubtedly true. This world may change, but Christ and his word will never change. Next time uh, Jaylene came out onto the soccer field, she was booed. The crowds turned against her because she said, I believe in God's word. God's word doesn't change. The culture changes. The world changes. God's word never changes. And she was shouted down. And then when they were getting ready uh, to play on the Olympic team, she was cut from the team because of her performance. We all know, and we can think of lots of different examples of cancel culture out in the public, right? I would imagine some of you have experienced cancel culture as well. You've tried to hopefully lovingly communicate God's truth to people. We do this in a loving way, right? We don't beat people up with scripture. We don't yell at them. We don't shame them. We don't guilt them. We love people. And as we've read in 2 Timothy a couple times, we gently and graciously help people to understand God's word. This is what we do. And I know some of you have been called haters. And I know some of you have been called intolerant. I know some of you have been called bigots. The Apostle Paul says, you should expect it. If you're basing your life on God's word, there will be persecution. There will be suffering. You know, I, I, I think about one of the arenas where there is so much cancel culture today. It's on our colleges and universities. I, I just, my heart goes out to our teachers, our professors, who as Jesus followers are called to proclaim truth. And they got to be really careful about the words that they speak so they don't offend people, right? So if you know a teacher, if you know a professor, be nice to them, love them, pray for them because they are on the front lines of what it means to be truth-tellers, people of God's word 
in our community. They are in a really hard spot today, front and center of cancel culture. So if you're standing uh, on God's word, you will go against the culture. You'll be labeled a bigot. You'll be labeled a hater. And it's not the same persecution that Paul and others have experienced or many Christians today. It kind of hurts. It stings a little bit, doesn't it, to go against the culture. But this is who God has called us to be, people of the word. This is what Paul is instructing Timothy to be about, a person of the word. So what did Jesus think about Scripture? What did Jesus think about uh, God's Word? I think we could summarize it uh, in, in just one verse. In Matthew 5, uh, 18, was Jesus' preaching the Sermon on the Mount. He says this, For I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. What Jesus is saying here is that all of Scripture matters. Another translation says, not one jot, not one tittle. And I didn't use that uh, particular translation because most of us don't know jots and tittles. Jots and tittles are just grammar marks, right? They're the smallest little pieces. And this is a pretty good uh, translation. Not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen. And I think what Jesus is saying, of the 770,430 words of Scripture, they all matter. Everything in the Bible matters. The Old Testament and the New Testament, this is what Jesus is talking about. That's all Jesus had in his day, was the Old Testament. And so over and over, Jesus is referring to the Old Testament. Let's get back to 2 Timothy here for just a second. Um, My slides, my slides are kind of all over here, sorry. This is actually what all my paper is about, so I can follow my slides, and you'd think I'd have them uh, in order. So I like preaching outside. I don't have to follow the slides. See, if I, if I go off slides, then you guys are like, what's he talking about? You know, and then I'm all over the place. 2 Timothy uh, 3, uh, 13. We'll continue. Evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced because of whom those from whom you've learned it. And those of us who've been following along here know that what, what uh, Paul is really talking about to Timothy is his mother and his grandmother, Lois and Eunice. He says, keep going, keep doing, keep following the scriptures. Verse 15, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures. Of course, that is the Old Testament, which you were able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So now what Paul is talking about here is keep going. Keep following Scripture. You were raised in Scripture. Hang on to Scripture. And there are 3,000 different references in the Old Testament that speak to the authority of God. Thus saith the Lord. The Old Testament, over and over and over, and if you've been reading through the Bible, you've heard these references of God speaking to God's people 3,000 different times. It's the very Word of God being spoken 
And this is why in the New Testament there are 300 references looking back to the Old Testament and about a thousand other references, 300 direct quotes saying, pay attention to what's going on in the Old Testament. And this is why we're reading through the entire Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, because it all matters. All these words matter. Pay attention. St. Augustine uh, said it this way. This is how important both the Old Testament and the New Testament are. The new is in the old contained, and the old is in the new explained. I like that. It really helps us to understand how the Old and the New Testament is truly one story. And so Paul continues on, all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So what Paul is saying is you got to be anchored, you got to be rooted, you need to be grounded. This is God-breathed. Now, there's a lot of books that I like to read, but they are not God-breathed. C.S. Lewis, Mere Christianity, great book, not God-breathed. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, The Cost of Discipleship, great book, not God-breathed. We could talk about all the books that we like that speak uh, to us today and have, frankly, profound theological truths, but they are not God-breathed. In fact, God doesn't breathe on a whole lot of things. As we read through God's story in the Old Testament, we read this story of God kind of putting the dirt, the dust of the earth together, God forming and shaping a man, and he gets this kind of this shape, and he goes, (sighs) breathes life into Adam. It's like, whoa, God breathes and brings life. And then we go to the New Testament after Jesus has died on the cross, The disciples are huddled together in the upper room. They're freaking out because Jesus has been killed. They're not sure what to do. And as they're standing there, sitting there, waiting and wondering and praying and going, oh my goodness, what are we going to do? All of a sudden, Jesus walks through the walls. They're like, whoa, he's back. And Scripture tells us that Jesus breathed on the disciples. They were filled with life. See, God doesn't just breathe over and over throughout Scripture, very specific times. And what Paul tells us is that God actually breathes on His Word. And it comes to life. This is not an ordinary book. This is not just a book of wise words, wise sayings, but this is the very breath of God living and moving among us. We're invited to pick it up and read it. And the interesting thing about reading God's Word is that it reads us as well. It changes us. It transforms us. It makes us into new and living creatures. And I think this is why people who have read Scripture throughout history, throughout time, have just fallen in love with God's Word. 
Have you ever been around someone who's just like, oh, I love what God's word has to say, and oh, God's word just absolutely spoke to me today. You can just hear it in their voice and in their heart, and they're just so filled with excitement and joy to be uh, and dwell in the very breath of God. King David was one of those people who just loved God's word. And he, of course, wrote a a good chunk uh, of the Old Testament. He wrote many, many different psalms. And one of the things I love about Psalm 119 is that it's a poem. It's a poem. It's the longest uh, chapter in the entire Bible, Psalm 119. And it's a poem about God's Word. And over and over and over, uh, King David cannot stop talking about how much he loves God's Word. And what he does is, if you've ever read Psalm 119 is he takes the 22 letters of the Hebrew uh, alphabet and he begins uh, each, there we go, Aleph, Beit, Gimel, Dalet, Hevab, Zion, all the way through, all 22 letters. And each chapter goes through and it lists a a beginning of of a, a phrase speaking about God's word. And what David is trying to communicate to us in this beautiful poem is that God's word is complete. From A to Z, his word is beautiful. It's this whole idea, God's law, God's commandments, God's word is perfect. He writes this in Psalm 119, verse 20. He writes, my soul is consumed with longing for your laws at all times. I love that. He's consumed with God's word, King David is. You never know somebody who's been consumed, absolutely just in love with God's word. It's like, ah, I can't wait to read God's word. I love what God's word spoke to me today. I was thinking about this week, what would be a kind of an example of this? Anybody ever uh, binge-watched Netflix or something like that, gotten a little bit addicted to a show, and you're just like, oh, just got to watch the next episode, right? And you're going episode by episode. Pretty soon you're looking at your watch going, oh, it's time to go to bed. And all of a sudden the show winds down, right? The Office, Parks and Rec, I don't know, whatever you're watching. And the show ends, and you're like, oh, I, I got to go to bed. Got work tomorrow, stuff to do. And then you look at the screen, 10, 9, 8. And you look at your spouse or your roommate, and you're just like, come on, let's do one more, right? You just you want to watch that one more episode. I'll sleep when I'm dead, right? You ever thought that? And you keep watching episodes, you're binge watching something on Netflix? That's what it's like for King David. He can't get enough. He's just like, I just want more. I, I, I just, I don't want to go to bed. I just want to keep reading God's word tonight. Turn on the lights, the candles, and just keep going. He's just absolutely consumed with God's word. This is what he's writing about in Psalm 119. And then in Psalm 119, verse 47, he says, I find delight in your commandments, which I love. It's this whole idea that God has breathed on his word. The New Testament word here is theonustos, theo God, the breath of God, God breathed. And this book starts to change us. That's what happens. The book starts to change it. God's word actually starts to change us as we're reading it. 
You know, when I was a kid, uh, my brother had braces. I never got to have braces when I was a kid. I thought braces were pretty cool. They kind of became fashionable as a kid growing up. I don't, are they still fashionable today? The still, kids still want braces? I don't know. So, uh, but, uh, so my kids, uh, when they were growing up, uh, kid number one didn't need braces. Woohoo! Uh, kid number two, you know, had like really crooked teeth. Uh, so he got braces. Um, anybody uh, shelled out some, you know, cash, uh, helped to build your orthodontist, the summer home. It's awesome. Right. And so, uh, we shelled out the money and, and over time his teeth got straighter and straighter. Uh, kid number three, uh, we were in the clear kid number four, I mean, just teeth everywhere that were not where they were supposed to be. And so uh, when the dentist said, yeah, she needs braces, I'm like, where would you even put them, right? Because her mouth was just this mangled mess, frankly, right? And so it's, it's really amazing. It's really remarkable if you've ever uh, been around someone who has had braces, uh, that when they get these things on it, at first it's just like, whoa, that's just a lot of metal in your mouth, right? And it's just kind of, oh, uh, it looks really uncomfortable, right? And most of the time it's not very painful, but over, gradually over time, uh, over the course of months and sometimes years, they put pressure on the braces, right? They, you go in to tighten the braces up, right? And then you come out of the orthodontist and the kids are like, oh, my mouth kind of hurts or, you know, throughout the week, you know? And what, what we see, of course, and we all know this, is that to get alignment, to get your teeth straightened, to get things where they're supposed to be, it takes time. It takes time. And I remember being in junior high, I've got this one tooth down here that kind of sticks out a little bit, and all my classmates had braces, and I'm like, oh, I want braces too, but I can't have braces because my parents don't want to shell up the money, so I'm just going to push on my, my tooth here in class. Anybody else push on your teeth? Just say, yeah, see, I'm not the only one. And I would just sit in science class pushing on my tooth, and you know what? I didn't do a, a, a blooming thing with uh, that tooth. It's still sticking out a little bit, you know? Why? Because it takes time. It takes time to get things in alignment. It takes regular uh, time for that pressure to be applied to our teeth so that they can get all in alignment. And this is why sometimes when people, they got stuff going on in their lives, they're like, I'm just going to read the Bible and see what the Bible has to say to me. And they're like, nope, Bible doesn't have anything to say to me. Of course not, because it's like doing this to your tooth. Right? How does the Bible change us? It changes us over time. Gentle pressure, gentle reading, regular time in God's Word. Sometimes it hurts, right? Sometimes it's like John smacking us around. But most of the time, it's just a gentle smack around. It's just this gentle conviction of, <clears throat> shouldn't be doing that. Pay attention, right? It's just all these subtle reminders in our lives how we need to be less reliant on ourselves and more reliant on God. In fact, God's Word is, is much more gentle when we read it regularly than when we try and pick it up and do some kind of emergency surgery on our lives through God's Word. See, this is why I like the images. You know, the braces come up. You're going to be thinking about this, I hope, uh, the rest of the afternoon. And so God's Word, I'm going to kind of close with this. How do we leave a legacy for the next generation? Quite simply, I think we live on God's Word. We look to God's Word to lead us and guide us. As the culture is going this way, we look to God's Word, which is going another way. We've got to be so immersed in Scripture to lead us and guide us. 
And I'm going to give the last word uh, to one of the greatest preachers of all time this morning. His name's Charles Haddon Spurgeon. And Spurgeon once wrote this. A Bible that is falling apart usually belongs to someone who isn't. They're pretty good words, aren't they? A Bible that is falling apart usually belongs to someone who isn't. So I'll close with a question. How's your Bible? How's your Bible? And one more slide there. There we go. That's not my Bible. I found that image online, but I love that image. Is that your Bible? Man, if that's your Bible, you're probably not falling apart. But if you're falling apart, God's holding you right here like this, right? He's carrying you. He's holding you. How's your Bible reading going? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you um, that you are with us in the midst of persecution, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of lots of challenges that we face today in 21st century America. God, we live in a nation that is, incre- that is godless and increasingly becoming more and more godless. And yet, God, you have called us to be your church, people of the word, people of the book, people of truth, people that dare to go against the flow. And it's hard. God, we know it's hard to be Jesus followers today. But God, you've given us the church that we can walk with one another, that we can encourage one another, that we can support one another. And every bit as important, maybe more important, you've given us your word. This reminder time and time again, God, that you are with us, that you have a plan for us, that you have truth for us, and you have called us to live according to your will, not the ways of the world. So convict us, God. Strengthen us, encourage us, because I know you're not finished with any of us. Mold us into people of the word. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer.